Welcome to the Elephant in the Room podcast. Pastor Lynn is ready to tackle another challenging topic that many Christian leaders don't want to talk about. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Hey everybody, welcome today to another great conversation on the Elephant in the room where we talk about things that maybe are not talked about, that you have questions about, um, things that are not uh, common or other other areas. So I want to get into it today with you a little bit on the idea of what we're celebrating this weekend, which is the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's a powerful, powerful time. There's been a lot of controversy as well as the celebration of the Lord Jesus. There's also a lot of controversy about the history of Easter, the name Easter, the practice of hiding Easter eggs, like with our kids, and the Easter bunny. So we're going to get into that today and talk a little bit about it. I'm going to find out today. We're going to kind of figure out if... We should include the Easter Bunny as part of our celebration or Easter eggs. And I'm going to give you some of the history of the word, some of the history of the holiday, the reason we celebrate the holiday. And we're going to talk about what is right or wrong about it and uh, what we need to be focused on. Well, let me just start with what we need to be focused on. We need to be focused on the most important event in human history, which is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in 725 AD. Uh, It was established that this would be a permanent celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Sunday immediately following the first full moon after the first day of spring or the spring or vernal equinox. So today we are here at this incredible weekend, and we are going to talk about it. I will say again to those joining us, we are talking today about Easter, Easter eggs, and the Easter bunny. We're going to talk about the history of it. We want to talk about the name. We want to talk about uh, the incredible meaning that uh, we celebrate on this weekend, Resurrection Sunday. Actually, today is Good Friday, what we refer to as Good Friday. Because today is the day that we remember the great sacrifice Jesus made when he died on the cross, taking my sin on his life. Instead of me having to die for my own sin and rebellion against God, he took that sin off of me. He paid for it on the cross, took care of it, and was able then to extend back to me forgiveness or cleansing from sin so that I could stand before God as though I had never sinned. We call that being justified or justification. Well, that's what we celebrate today, and we are so thankful today as we remember the uh, horrific sacrifice that Jesus made, not only in the natural sense on a Roman cross, but in the spiritual sense, carrying the weight of the sin of humanity on his life. We're so thankful to Jesus today for doing that. And it is followed up by the exclamation point on that sacrifice, which is the resurrection, which we celebrate that resurrection on Sunday. We refer to that Sunday as Easter Sunday. We're going to talk about why and where that name came from. And we are going to talk about why it's important for you not to miss Easter Sunday and why it's important for you to be in the house of God, why it's important for you to celebrate to do everything you can to celebrate this incredible, incredible holiday. So 
let's get into this a little bit. So we're going to look at Easter. Easter is really about the Christian festival commemorating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was described in the New Testament as having occurred on the third day after Jesus' burial following his crucifixion by Romans at Calvary, approximately 30 AD. It is the culmination of the passion of Jesus that is preceded by a period of time, if you go back into ancient history or if you are a Catholic or an Orthodox Christian, you will have celebrated a time of of season of sacrifice known as Lent. The ending of Lent ends on this weekend with the celebration of Easter. And the week preceding it is sometimes referred to as Holy Week. It includes things like Maundy Thursday, which was yesterday, which talks about Maundy means command. It was where Jesus gave his great commandment to love one another at the Lord's Supper. It commemorates the Lord's Supper, the washing of the feet of his disciples before he was ultimately arrested and tried and crucified. That was what Monday Thursday, today is Good Friday, uh, and then we have Easter Sunday. So this is a little bit of that particular uh, particular event. It was discussed back as far as the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea was one of the three or four major Christian councils, uh, one of the most important where the Nicaean Creed was created. It was where uh, the uh, really the initiation of the canonization of Scripture, that means that the Holy Bible that we have, the Old and New Testaments, were put together and really established as the authoritative books that make up our Bible in that same council. And they also talked about the Jewish calendar. It was in that council that they described putting the Passover feast, the Jewish Passover, which of course, if you've ever done a Passover Seder or or understood the, the celebration of Passover, which was actually the celebration in Jewish history of Moses bringing the people out of Egypt, the last of the plagues of Egypt where the angel of death moved over. If they put the blood on the doorpost and over the top of the door, the angel passed over their house and their firstborn was not killed. All of the Egyptians lost their firstborn. And we saw this event being the the pinnacle of the release of the people of God from captivity, beginning their track through the wilderness to the promised land. This is known as Passover. The Passover feast and what it represented, and even the blood on the doorpost and above the door is absolutely symbolic of the cross and of the plan of redemption that would happen much later. So at the Council of Nicaea, they chose to uh, bring together this uh, celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and Passover, because as we know, Jesus was crucified at the time of Passover. The Bible talks about that. So that's why we kind of piece this together in 325 AD. So that is some of the Christian history. Uh, we can date farther back going to this name. Now, there are a lot of controversial thoughts about Easter, and I want to talk a little bit about that, about where this name came from. Where the name of Easter comes from has a lot of its origins um, 
And I know you're you're probably waiting for me to just jump right back into the pagan rituals that date all the way back to Nimrod, and I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. But the name Easter, let me just find it here to, to just confirm about the date. I'm talking about the dates of Easter, but I want to talk about the name Easter. came from actually uh, our modern English word, most people, uh, associate that with uh, the German word uh, Ostara, it or Oster, and it was connected to uh, the idea of everything being renewed in spring and the idea of fertility. Now, when we get into the idea of fertility, we're going to go back a little bit in a little bit of time. I want to get into the whole idea of the rabbit, and I want to get into the idea of Sorry, not only the rabbit, but the idea of the Easter eggs and all of those. So I'm just uh, referring back to my notes because I want to make sure I do not give you incorrect history information. The word Easter, stemming from the German and Dutch coming to America from the German and Dutch Ostern, developed from an old English word that usually appears Eastern. Uh, or Istra, uh, that provides, um, there's documentaries that, that talk about that and the history of that development into the English language ultimately coming uh, to America. In Latin and Greek, the Christian celebration is not called Easter, it's called Pasha. It was a word developed from Aramaic that was cognate to the Hebrew word Pishach. And the word originally denoted the Jewish festival, as I said, known as Passover. So actually, the word Easter is not always celebrated as that word in every nation. Um, it does have other other names and more ancient names uh, in terms of that. But Easter comes from most recently, uh, not originating all the way back to the pagan uh, pagan idea that I'm going to bring to you in a minute, but actually comes from the German and Dutch into English into America. So you might study, read, or hear people talking about uh, the pagan rituals of Easter and the paganism of Easter, and there is some merit to that, but that is not actually directly where the English word Easter comes from. It actually comes from uh, Dutch and German roots. And, uh, but we are going to talk about uh, this idea and how it is linked to paganism, especially when you're dealing with the rabbit or the Easter hare. And uh, I have you know, come to know that a hare and a rabbit are two different animals. I think a hare is, is larger than a rabbit and uh, is probably a little more aggressive, whereas rabbits are probably more passive. Um, but the Easter hair or the Easter bunny is about a hair. And and we can get into that just a little bit because the hair was a popular or the rabbit was a popular um, symbol. And the symbol of the rabbit basically does not just come from the idea of fertility, but it is connected to fertility. And that's where we get our connection back to pagan roots and pagan history and the goddess of fertility. But before, again, before we get there, just like I'm talking about the more modern things, we're going to start closer to home and we'll step our way back. 
but the hair was widely believed, uh, even by the early patriarchs of Christianity, uh, that it was a hermaphrodite. It is not true. There are male and female hairs. A hermaphrodite is an animal that does not have a sex. It is. It can reproduce within itself or by itself. And because uh, a hair was so prolific in its fertility, uh, they believed that it was a hermaphrodite, that it could reproduce without the loss of virginity. Why was this important? It was important because they believed, because it was already a symbolic animal, they believed it could be very symbolic of the virgin birth of Jesus or the Virgin Mary, as the case is. And uh, what they would find is even today, uh, hares can actually become pregnant again while they haven't given birth yet to their first litter. I'm not exactly sure what they call a uh, rabbit's birth, but probably a litter of rabbits. Um, but the they can be pregnant twice while they're they can be pregnant again while they're still pregnant. So, uh, but regardless of that, because they believed that it was for many years, they believed it was a hermaphrodite. They could symbolize that connection with uh, with the idea of the virgin. Mary or the virgin birth. Also, there is a motif of three hares or three rabbits that also has been connected with symbolism to the Trinity. Now, why is this symbolism important? Because in when, we're, when we are observing everything today within the context of our culture, especially American culture, uh, I want to just say, first of all, we're very much in a bubble we're very much in a bubble, and the ideas of history and the things that we form and ideals in our mind many times are shaped by our own experiences today. All right, if we go to another culture, another country, another place, another period of time, it was very different. Today, most Americans can read and write. We're usually literate. But back not too many centuries ago, that was less common. Only wealthier people that could afford an education had the ability to read and write. Or if you were taught at home, many people were illiterate. How do we teach the Bible, Scripture, the Gospel to people who don't have the ability to read? Or write. They just have the ability to hear and see. They would use illustrations. They would use pictures. They would use statues. They would use different types of things and symbols to represent things. Sometimes when the early church and the Catholic church later would carry the gospel into new areas that had pagan rituals, they would sometimes borrow from their own pagan ritual and and use that as a symbol to teach the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that it's a good idea to evangelize the world by using pagan symbols and ideas. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually did it when he preached on Mars Hill. In Athens, he used one of their idols to preach the gospel. He took borrowed literature out of their culture to preach the gospel. So it's not entirely unbiblical to do that. However, may not be the best method for evangelism, but many times some of the pagan connections to Christian celebrations were connected not to the church 
making compromises, but rather to the church trying to communicate something into a culture where they didn't have books, they didn't have reading, writing, education, all the things that we take for granted that we have today, trying to communicate the gospel, evangelizing the world, uh, initially to Christ, later on uh, through the corruption of the church, just trying to bring them into the religious connection to the church. And that's when uh, we, we dove into the dark ages and all of those horrible things. So I wanted to make that statement first because a lot of times we just simply say, well, it was tied to this particular false god or this false idea. That meant the church was corrupt. That meant that compromises were made. That meant that there is a a evil demonic force trying to enter into our celebration of Christ and it's bad. So there are things that are not necessarily good. There are things that if you don't Uh, believe should be a part of the celebration, then you should leave them. Or if they're a distraction from the celebration, you should definitely leave them out. But I'm going to take a little different stand than you may hear because I want you to understand a little bit of the connection. So with that in mind, having said all that first, let's go backwards a little bit into the history of the pagan goddess of fertility. So I want to go all the way back to Nimrod. Now, if you don't know who Nimrod was, Nimrod was uh, a man at the Tower of Babel who rebelled and as a rebellion was punished by Shem, uh, the son of Ham, um, or Cush, the son of Ham, uh, t- states that he was a, a mighty hunter for the Lord. He began to be mighty in the earth. Um, he was ultimately punished by by Shem uh, for his for his rebellion. But I want to get into this. The, all of these things that are associating him, uh, he is associated with the Tower of Babel. He's also associated with ancient figures of Mesopotamia and ancient uh, Assyria. So we're going to, uh, let me just kind of, again, make sure I'm giving you the the correct history here. So Nimrod, actually, in another, maybe not illegal in that day, but maybe something that wasn't considered so uh, moral, ended up marrying his mother. His mother's name was uh, Simiramis. And so his mother became his wife. And through the punishment of Nimrod, ultimately he was put to death. He was cut in pieces and his body spread among the earth. There was no body. So his wife, uh, Simiramis, began to declare a myth that he actually did not die, but actually was uh, ascended up and ultimately became the sun god, right? And and the crown, the whole idea of the crown and the sun was all connected to that. I don't have time to get into all that today, but uh, but Simiramis then associated herself with the moon, which was uh, already associated with fertility and believed that she came down to the earth from the moon as the goddess of fertility, which in biblical connection or Hebrew tradition was known as the goddess of Ashtaroth. 
also known as the goddess of Ishtar, also known as the goddess of Estra. And all of these uh, different names from different cultures, and you can study that on your own, uh, came up to this idea of this goddess of fertility and many times connect this name, although it's a very loose connection, uh, but because of the similarity in sound, it is a, it's, it's a viable connection of this name to the English word Easter. And uh, because of that, that's where this whole idea of fertility came from or the worship of fertility and the idea of eggs and and, and rabbits and those kind of things. It was said uh, by some tradition that she actually came down from the moon in an egg, that the moon released a fertility egg that she came out of, and that this is also associated with the eggs and the rabbits. But the hair and the eggs, as far as American tradition and the way we use it today, is has, again, goes back to its history uh, connected to, to Germany and Holland. So with that in mind, you see these pagan ideas that didn't exist in one culture, but existed in every culture. The problem comes when we begin to utilize these symbols and the symbols are becoming more prevalent than the actual meaning of the holiday that we celebrate, which is the resurrection of Christ. And so when you are understanding what this celebrates, yes, we can see the ideas of the Trinity. We can see the ideas of the virgin birth. Oh, also, there there was one more aspect of it when we're talking about Easter eggs is this idea of, of Lent, right? Because during Lent, in many cultures, they do not eat eggs. So many times at the point of Easter, when they break Lent, one of the foods that they would often eat were eggs, and many times would decorate them also to celebrate that. So it wasn't just uh, the decoration of eggs that dates back to Ishtar, or the goddess of fertility, but it also uh, is commonly associated with Lent in our modern day. Uh, But the other idea of these Easter eggs is that they were actually dipped in blood. So that the idea of coloring these eggs is similar to that same pagan idea of dipping the eggs in blood. And so uh, there are so many things, and I just, uh, because of our time limit, I don't have the time to really just read through this plethora of multiple histories and connections. But here's what I want you to see today. I want you to see today that the Easter bunny or Easter eggs, or if your kids do an Easter egg hunt, it does not, first of all, it does not demonize your children. It does not put them into a position that they are, uh, you know, somehow now connected to paganism. Because many times, like I said, the church would go into cultures that didn't know any better that had these pagan ideas, and they would take the symbols, they would do what they called redeeming the holidays, right? They would redeem the holidays, they would take the pagan rituals and turn them into holidays or holy days. That's where the word holiday comes from. And they would attach them together, and then use them symbolically to communicate the gospel and to connect people to the church. So that actually happened out of many times good hearts. Maybe it wasn't the right method. Maybe it's not the method you would use. Probably not the method I would use. But it also does not demonize them, even because of their connection. 
Uh, I also see a lot of people that get so up in arms about certain pagan traditions being uh, being connected to paganism, but they still celebrate uh, and refer to the days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all named after pagan gods, all connected to paganism. Our calendars connected to paganism. Those names are connected to paganism. The months of the year are connected to paganism. All kinds of things are connected uh, back here to paganism that we don't care about, but we do care about it when they're connected to a holiday. So I think it's important if that is a stance you're going to take, then you need to take it universally across the board. Don't just pick and choose which things you're going to demonize, okay, and which things you're not. I'm also not declaring that Easter bunnies and Easter eggs are great or the best way to represent the celebration of this weekend of the resurrection of Jesus. And just like other holidays, they can get in the way of or be a distraction from the main thing and the main message, which is Jesus Christ, him dying and resurrecting for our sins. So what I want you to understand today is that that it's not just about demonizing any pagan connections that may or may not have been there. More than likely, it's not completely stemming from a pagan connection, but it probably over centuries has been blended in. The paganism woven in with actual Christian symbolism and ideas that have come together to produce many of the things that we celebrate and market and and over-commercialize. Even in my lifetime, from the time I was little till today, it's more commercialized now than ever because we will use in America any opportunity we can to make money. So that is the idea behind it. And I want you to just make sure uh, if you choose not to allow uh, Easter bunnies or eggs in your home or with your kids, then don't allow it. That's that's perfectly fine. If it's something that is offensive to you or something that gets in the way of the real meaning of Easter, then get rid of it. For heaven's sake, get rid of it. Do, do away with it. If you don't want to use the word Easter because of its potential connection to the goddess Ishtar Ostra or Ashtoreth from history, then you say Resurrection Sunday or whatever. Here's the thing. The key is this. Don't not celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because of these certain connections that, that have possibilities. And when I say possibilities, I'm saying that Google is not all-knowing and everything you read on Google or hear somebody declare to you historically, many times when you're dating back thousands of years, you don't actually have the full connectivity going on there. So is there connection? Likely there is or some kind of woven connection there. But it is not some kind of absolute that there was some kind of a pagan intersect with Christianity and somehow the devil had equal power to Christ in the history of his church. He doesn't. He's just not that powerful. He's not that meaningful. Jesus is meaningful. Jesus is powerful. And we want to keep our focus on him. So if anything is getting in the way, even your own busyness, even your job or something or an excuse, I will say this. If if you have the fear of pagan connection keeping you from celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday, on this weekend, then that becomes an idol to you, and that becomes sin. That becomes wrong. Don't let anything get in the way of celebrating and remembering the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the only reason we have life today. And that is the purpose, and that is the power. So as quick as I can give it to you, that is a, a little synopsis of my thoughts on today's discussion. So just going back to kind of recap a little bit, 
Are there pagan connections with Easter and other Christian holidays? Yes. Yes, there are. Are those holidays actually remade version of those pagan celebrations? No, they're not. And many times through the church, whether it was a good or bad idea, they there were many attempts to connect symbols from paganism into Christianity to help people understand Christ and the gospel. Uh, just like Paul did on Mars Hill in the Bible, in the book of Acts, uh, be it good, be it bad. Was there corruption in the church? Yes, for several hundred years there was corruption. Are these symbols a distraction, regardless of all of their origins coming from uh, older Europe or coming from more ancient pagan histories? Yes, they can all become distractions. The thing is, keep the main thing the main thing. If your kid is having fun coloring Easter eggs, Easter bunnies, I encourage you to find ways to use that to symbolize who Christ is and to use it to symbolize and understand and keep the focus on Jesus, but don't put eggs or rabbits in front of Jesus and don't try to over-spiritualize them. I wouldn't try to over-demonize them either. I would instead keep your eyes focused on the main thing, love people, reach people, serve people, and be for them what they need to be. Thank you, Melanie. I am going to get well. I just have a little bit of a congested thing right here. So I actually sound worse than I really feel. I really feel great, but I receive it. I want to be completely healed. Amen. In Jesus' name. I want to thank you all uh, today also for joining us on the elephant in the room. And sometimes we take spaces off and come back uh, as we have different things to talk about. But over the next few weeks, uh, we will do a series of elephant in the room discussions at noon Central Standard Time uh, right here on the elephant in the room page. And we want you to join us. Also, uh, we want you to keep in mind that you can continue to watch these, share these on your page, Share them with someone else. Ask questions. Make comments. We like to read those. You can remark on other people's thoughts, even if they're not exactly like your thoughts. That's okay. The elephant in the room is here to present this discussion. I want to affect the way that you think about things. I want to challenge the way that you see things a little bit. I want to open up your understanding uh, of certain things or ideas, whether they're culture, politics, religious uh, thinking, or uh, biblical things as well. So we want to continue uh, talking about that. Hey to Lisa Jones, thank you for joining us today as well. But today uh, we are going to, we're just about out of time here, so we're getting ready to sign off. But I want to, uh, before we go today, to pray over everyone watching today and pray this weekend. Invite somebody with you to church. Don't just make it an Easter event, make it an every week event. Invite people to church. But when you invite them to church, don't just invite them. Give them your number. Make sure you meet them if they come. Meet them in the parking lot. Sit with them in church. Introduce them to people. Love people. Understand that this is a bigger picture than just checking a card on a box. I invited someone to church like it's your good deed. Don't just do that. Bring somebody in. Help them to know Jesus. Walk them through the process and and help them understand where to sit, what they're doing. All of those things together. And uh, Joan Benjamin, hey, welcome. Thank you for joining us today, too, on The Elephant in the Room. Make sure you go and listen to this. Make sure you share it. But I want to pray over you today, and I want to pray that God does something supernatural two days from now on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. 
So Lord, I thank you today that you're not an Easter bunny or an Easter egg and and that you're not even Easter. You're something that transcends all of our ideas, all of the ways we celebrate you, all of the ways, not just on this weekend, but every day that we tend to minimize you, God, and make you less than what you are. Lord, I just thank you that you magnify yourself, that you're exalted this weekend. Lord, that you are exalted in our lives and our minds, God, that we understand the celebration of Easter is not one day, but every day for us because we have life and connection in you because of what Jesus did for us. So God, I just ask that you would just strengthen the faith and the hearts of everyone watching. Lord, let them see and know you today. God, let them be surrounded by grace today. Lord, I just ask that you would just come with all of your power and strength and that you would just raise us up to new levels. Bless and strengthen everyone watching, God, and give us a great day of celebration on Sunday as we celebrate the greatest event in human history. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Well, thank you again for watching The Elephant in the Room, for just taking a little part of this discussion on Easter, Easter eggs of the Easter Bunny. If you have more to say or ask, please post questions, share it to your page, and share it to anyone else's page. That would be helpful to them. Make sure you are also tuning in next Friday at noon as we share another Elephant in the Room broadcast. See you then. Thank you for joining us on the Elephant in the Room podcast. You can also watch live on the Elephant in the Room Facebook page every Friday at high noon Central Standard Time. Tune in next week as Pastor Lynn tackles another tough topic.